Hi, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Ann Eglash. I'm a clinical professor in the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health. I'm also a board-certified lactation consultant and a co-founder of the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. And I'm Karen Bodnar. I am an assistant professor of pediatrics at Harbor UCLA Medical Center and a general pediatrician. I'm also a board-certified lactation consultant. And this podcast is sponsored by the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Just so you know, the content of our podcasts does not necessarily reflect official policies or protocols of the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Are you ready to go? Hi, Karen. How's it going? Great. I've noticed that it's finally the same temperature in Wisconsin that it is here in Central California. Yeah, that's, that's uh, I guess, fortuitous. That's lucky. It's not very usual, that's for sure. So um, so I guess we haven't talked for a while. Um, I just wanted to tell you that I got back from Vietnam. I went to Vietnam for two weeks in April, which was fantastic. And um, I met an OB-GYN nurse there, and she told me that the women tend to nurse um, until about 15 or 18 months, and I thought that was really exciting. I knew they had had a really good um, like public media campaign to encourage breastfeeding in Vietnam a few years ago. Well, that's good to hear. They do. And we went. We were biking along the Central Coast, and as we went through small towns, um, periodically we would see signs that were in Viet. They were in Vietnamese, but they clearly were talking about breastfeeding and promoting breastfeeding. And we asked our guide. Um, what it said, and he said, "Oh, these are this is an important public health campaign to promote breastfeeding." So I was very proud of that. On the other hand, when I was in Saigon, I saw a school that had very high walls, and every wall had huge advertisements for formula. So that wasn't yeah. very good. That was really That's sort of a slap awesome. in the face, right when the kids are at school, you know. So, yeah. so you know. But They're think, definitely making an international push with formula companies. Yes. Get their market share. It's sad. Yeah. Well, I'm jealous of your trip for sure. It was good. It was good. So <clears throat> let's talk about um let's talk about contrast. So um you're going to talk about um the non nuclear contrast media that's used during radiologic exams, and then I'm gonna talk about the nuclear medicine contrasts. So let's start with you. Okay, so um, this is a topic that I love to talk about when I'm teaching because it's it's actually really straightforward, and there's um, there's pretty good guidance. And I always reference the um, American College of Radiology has a manual on contrast media, which has a section on administration of contrast media to women who are breastfeeding, and it was last updated in 2013. And it basically breaks down um, into two sections. The section on um, iodinated or iodine-based um, contrast, which is used for x-rays and CT scans, and um, gadolinium-based contrast, which is used for MRIs. Um, there's also barium, which is used, which I'll talk about in a second. So um, this, I really like the first part of this document because it goes through the sort of math which I use when I'm trying to work out whether or not a specific medication is safe for breastfeeding and it talks about um, what is the half-life of it and how much um, is absorbed um, 
into breast milk and is transferred to the baby and then how much is orally absorbed from the milk into the baby. And essentially, it says less than 1% of the maternal dose of iodine contrast is excreted into breast milk in the first 24 hours after it's given. And of this, less than 1% of that contrast is um, absorbed through the GI tract into the baby. And so therefore, the systemic dose is less than 0.01% of the IV dose given to the mom. And it also reminds us that IV contrast of this type is given to not just term infants, but also to premature infants directly when they need studies. And so it's considered very safe. There's no cause for concern. And um, it says likelihood of either direct toxic or allergic manifestations is extremely low and that um, it is not recommended that women need to temporarily stop breastfeeding when they're given this contrast. Unfortunately, this study goes on to say, in sort of a medical legal way, ultimately the informed decision is based to the mother, and if she's still concerned about this, then she can be told to abstain from breastfeeding for 12 to 24 hours, but there's no value to stopping breastfeeding greater than 24 hours, and she can pump. And it it actually really aggravates me that they added this because I feel like it's the good um, risk-benefit information was given to mom. She would always choose to breastfeed, and if they put a stronger statement to that effect, I think that it would be more clear to medical professionals who don't necessarily understand all the nitty-gritty of the math. Right. Yeah, and I wonder if the lawyers sat down who are maybe on the board of the organization and said, oh, let us take a look at this and make sure that we're not going to get ourselves into trouble. It's absolutely ridiculous. And, because uh, I see the same thing when I find other documents online. I mean, I Googled this document to get it ready for today, and I happened upon the radiology procedures of Yale University, and it completely mirrored this, and it said, if mom's breastfeeding, like there's a decision tree, and it's like mom can breastfeed, or she can be given the decision to pump for 24 hours. And I was like, ah, ah. Like I should say, reassurance should be given. Yeah, and that and so that that's bad medicine. I mean that I mean if you have evidence, you should be using evidence and counseling on evidence, not on fear and oh my gosh, I might get sued and you know, not understanding lactation and not not valuing lactation too. And unfortunately I think that that is the crux of why we still see many centers um advising women that they should oh, yeah. consider pumping and dumping for 24 hours. Even our I think uni- that there's a real education campaign that's necessary on this issue. Hopefully the podcast is a start. Yes. Well, and our breastfeeding coalition in the Madison, Wisconsin area is actually working on that. That's one of our projects is to educate the different radiologic groups in town about this issue and to really push for them to just use the evidence and not you know, scare women for an unnecessary reason. We could be saying that about every single medicine that a woman takes. Oh, yeah. You could say that about the medicine you give the kid for ear infection. This is recommended and safe, but you could choose not to do it. Yeah, thanks. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, the other issue with education that I run into a lot is that patients rarely um, interact with radiologists. And so it's the radiology techs that are often giving this information to mothers. You know, they go in for the scan, 
and they say, are you pregnant? As they always do, are you breastfeeding? And then they just say, oh, okay, after this, you should pump for 24 hours and throw away your milk. And I'm just like, ah, so that education needs to make it all the way to that to that level. That's a really big deal. I agree. And the um, if they gave a handout that said exactly what you had said that came from the American College of, College of Radiology, um, a woman who reads a handout that says it should be safe but consider pumping um, and not breastfeeding for 24 hours, women may think in the back of her mind, well, if I'm going to be completely safe, I'm just going to pump. You know, oh, yeah. so but given- if it says... This is completely safe. Your baby's getting less than 0.01%. There is no risk. Be comforted. That will have a completely different effect, even though they're trying to express that information. Right, right. I think that's something that we really need to be, that those of us, those physicians who are working with moms and babies who are not radiologists need to really push our our colleagues to be more um, breastfeeding friendly. Yeah. And in line with, you know, you're talking about handouts, um, a website that I really like, which is kellymom.org, um, mm-hmm. which um, has a section on medications and a, a subpage on radioisotopes, has this study and some other good links, and it basically just has the first part. It says, like, this is the map, and it's safe. And it goes into the gadolinium and says the same thing. And so it's like, no, I really like that. I think it's a great place to direct patients when you're sending them for a study so they can feel confident. Um, so if you want to give your patient a handout, you can send them to Kelly Mom. There you go. And um, right. That's a great. Place. I'm sorry. It was KellyMom.com. Right. Um, dot com. And um, okay. So the the next part, which is on gadolinium, which is um, the types of contrast media which are given for MRI scans, has a really really similar um, statement. It says the half life um, is about two hours until it's cleared from the bloodstream in patients with normal renal function. Um, or sorry, it's got a two-hour half-life and 24 hours until it's completely cleared. Less than 0.4% gets into the breast milk, and um, less than point or less than 1% gets um, absorbed in the GI tract. So you actually get 0.0004% of the IV dose given to the mother um, gets into the baby, and so. Same thing. It's totally safe. Don't be worried about it. And then that little asterisk of mom should make informed decisions, <laughs> and hopefully without any conflicting or stressful information being imposed upon them. Wow. And then finally, um, the uh, barium, which is used um, in a lot of like swallowing studies and as contrast in the GI tract. Um, so that it can show up on x-ray is used because it's not absorbed from the gut. And so, um, likewise, there's no concern about it being absorbed from breast milk into the baby. Even if a tiny bit somehow got absorbed by the mom, it's it's completely safe, and moms can continue breastfeeding immediately after receiving any of those. Right. So we can say that safely for CTs and MRIs that, um, these are safe for moms, generally don't need to pump and dump. No. And likewise for things like x-rays, upper GI procedures where they're swallowing, um, contrast and having little um, fluoroscopy or sort of video x-ray of their intestines. Right. Absolutely. Good. Good. <clears throat> Anything else? I think that's all. It's a nicely simple subject. <laughs> 
Yeah. So I'm going to talk about the nuclear medicine studies. And these are studies that are done using radiation in order to make a medical diagnosis. So the radioactive particles are attached to a type of contrast, like a type of chemical that's injected in the body. And that contrast becomes distributed to the targeted organs. So depending on what organ needs to be visualized, whether it's heart or the thyroid, um, different agents are going to be used. So the radiation builds up in the targeted area, and it allows for a unique sort of imaging called scintigraphy. So it's an x-ray. It's a special type of x-ray that actually shows the radioactive particles um, that are active in a particular area. So, for example, if a doctor is looking for an infection in the bone, which we call osteomyelitis, the extent of the distribution of the radiation in the bone will tell the doctor how extensive the bone infection is and where, you know, where the where the infection is. So, in many situations, uh, radioactive contrast materials provide more information about certain diseases than plain X-rays, CAT scans, and MRIs, because you can see the process, um, like the disease process and how it's metabolized. It's like a functional image. Right. Like, yeah, how a process is metabolizing, like a lung nodule. You can see if it's metabolically active. So another good example of the use of nuclear medicine studies is the use of technetium-99, which is a common contrast. And um, it can be tagged on to several different types of tissues. So um, sometimes it's tagged onto white cells, and then the white cells are injected with this technetium-99, and then the white cells will go to an area of a soft tissue infection, such as an abscess or appendicitis. So it's another way of finding where an infection is or whether or not there's really an appendicitis. Um, the major organization that weighs in on rules of these substances is the United States Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And um, in addition, there are other, I'm sure there are other guidelines from other countries. There's, there are guidelines also from the Canadian Association of Medical Radiation. And I also saw some guidelines from Europe as well. Um, I should mention that the pharmaceutical companies who make these products, they try to keep the amount of radiation to a minimum necessary. So in reality, fortunately, the amount of radiation that comes from these substances substances is relatively low. But what I want to do is list a few general principles about these agents and breastfeeding. So first of all, um, it's better to avoid all elective nuclear medicine procedures while nursing. So what I mean by elective is if you can wait till you're done nursing, you ought to wait. Because why irradiate the breast and why irradiate the baby possibly um, and irradiate oneself um, when you don't really, really have to. And of course, no one would just do this for kicks, right? But um, if if mom has to have it done, but it's not really an emergency, um, it's really better for her to wait until she's done nursing. Sure. Like an example I can think of um, from pediatrics is they sometimes use this in renal scans to look for renal scarring um, from past infections. So they're not trying to find a active infection like we do when there's just this never-ending fever and we can't find the source. Sometimes they use this to look at the bones and see if they're a occult bone infection. That would be necessary right now. But if you're just checking the kidneys to see, oh, is there a scar in there that's decreasing your renal function? That isn't urgent. 
Exactly. Right. For sure. Um, another principle is uh, that the time that's recommended uh, for pumping and um, well, some people say dumping milk, but really you can store the milk. Um, it doesn't all, it doesn't always pertain just to the substance that's given, but the volume of the substance, like the dose. So if two different breastfeeding women get the same contrast, they might be told by different radiologists to to uh, not breastfeed for different periods of time um, because they may have gotten different doses based on yeah. the type of um, test that they're having and their body weight. And that has to do with the half-life of that particular ion because exactly. it's going to go out of the mom, but also the while it's frozen or stored, will become less radioactive over time. Right. And that's why moms don't have to dump their milk. They can just um, put it in a freezer, and we'll talk about that a little later, and then use it um, and then give it when it seems like the radiation should be out of it. So in addition, um, studies seem to indicate that less than 10% of most of these agents go into breast milk, and uh, it's really the more typical amount is anywhere from 0.3 to 5% of the injected dose, which is pretty similar to what we know with other medications in general. That's generally the rule. And um, also, it's recommended that a child or an infant should not receive more than half of a REM, which is one of the measures that's used for radiation dose. And most studies deliver less than 0.1 REM to the child through breast milk. So it ends up being a small amount. Um, but one thing to remember is that infants can be exposed to the radiation through the breast milk, but they can also be exposed to the mom from herself because she's she's excreting radiation. She's just like, you know, like a little bit of a ticking bomb. Not bomb, but ticking, <laughs> ticking. She's exposing. She's hot. She's hot. Exactly. She's hot. And brings um, new meaning to the word hot mama. That's exactly right. Um, so she's emitting radioactive particles, and so the radiologist who gives this um, this material should be counseling mom about the amount of time that she should be separated from her infant. And most of the those are usually for treatment, like treatment of thyroid cancer. Um, and it's usually not going to be the case so much for um, diagnostic studies. Yeah. Um, another principle to think about um, regarding giving these substances is the amount of radiation that ends up happening to the lactating breast. So for <clears throat> so that's another reason to really avoid giving nuclear medicine procedures when women are nursing. It's not just the exposure to the baby, but also this radiation is going into the breast and radiating tissue. We know already that breast cancer rates are anywhere from 1 to 6 to 1 to 8, depending on the community. So this is these are organs that are so prone to cancer that I don't think irradiating them is such a great idea. So um, I think that's something that we don't talk as much about. <clears throat> In general, um, experts recommend waiting about 10 half-lives um, before nursing again. So a half-life is the amount of time it takes for the medication to drop um, to half of the load um, in the body. So um, if a half-life is six hours, then mom should wait 60 hours. So uh, 10 half-lives and six hours is one half-life. So she should wait 60 hours before she nurses again and before um, she should um, have the milk sit in a that's expressed, have the milk sit for 10 half-lives, so for 60 hours before the milk can be 
um, given to the to the baby. So it's best just to freeze it. And freezing doesn't really slow the process of the degradation of the radioactive substances. It doesn't matter if it's frozen or not. However, right. it's also important to know that there aren't a lot of studies that that tell us about the excretion of these meds into breast milk and how much radiation actually ends up in breast milk over time. So these are all, you know, kind of estimates and, you know, there are, you know, formulas that are figured out scientifically, but still there's not, there aren't a lot of studies that are published that actually demonstrate the amount of radiation after 10 half-lives in breast, in, in, in breast milk. Um, medical. Yeah, it's, exactly. <laughs> so moms actually are supposed to be able to get the radiation measured in their breast milk um, by the nuclear medicine facility at their hospitals. And um, those, of course, are going to be hospitals that have nuclear that do nuclear medicine studies. Once the amount of radiation in the breast milk is similar to background radiation, then it's okay to give the milk. So it should be less than 0.1 uh, rem. And oh, that's really fascinating. I didn't yeah. know that. And if the hospitals don't know how to do it, there actually is um, a study that actually outlines exactly how to measure it. So that's something that we can actually put on our Facebook page uh, um, so that um, people can access that. Um, the other thing is that the national, um, uh, I'm sorry, the Nuclear Regulatory um, Commission, they're the major organization that sort of weighs in on how these um, medications should be used. And so they, uh, let's see, they give guidelines. So they require that, that radiologists give written instructions to breastfeeding women if the potential radiation dose to the infant is likely to be more than half of a REM. And um, they can get by with oral instructions if the radiation dose to the infant is going um, to be between 0.1 and uh, half of a REM. So, and if it's under 0.1, you know, they oftentimes don't give any instructions because it's not considered to be a problem. So, a, a common substance that's used in these studies is technetium 99M, and it has different names depending on what it's used for, but um, sestamibi is a common name for technetium when it's used for heart imaging. So we often, like when I order a stress test, I'm oftentimes saying, well, let's do a sestamibi stress test. And that's the contrast that's used. So it's a contrast that's used after when a person's exercising, the technetium is injected, and then they follow to see how that flows into the in, through the vessels of the heart to see if there are any blockages or any parts of the heart that are not metabolizing well that could be like um, previous um, tissue that had a previous heart attack. Um, it's also used um, to find a parathyroid mass for people who have hyperparathyroidism and they can't find, you know, where the where the little growth is. So oh. technetium is considered to be safe. Um, and moms actually don't, um, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission says that um, women don't have to interrupt breastfeeding when it's used in certain ways, when it's just used by itself. Um, but some experts, according to ToxNet through the National Library of Medicine, they state that some experts recommend waiting three to six hours after being given technetium 99. So what they should do is nurse the baby first, then have their study, then um, after about three to, anywhere from three to six hours, completely pump all that milk out and store it, and then 
mom can breastfeed. <clears throat> but technetium-99 is used for a lot of different things. And when it's attached to white cells, as I talked about before, looking for like a, an appendicitis, um, then moms are instructed to uh, pump and store their milk for 10 half-lives of the technetium. So I think the half-life of technetium is, is, is about um, six hours, actually. Um, but I'm not positive. Don't quote me on that. You know where I always look when I need to find out the half-life is there's an index in one of the appendices of Hale's um, book, Medications and Mother's Milk. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that that's back there. That's a great place. Right, but right, they yeah he has a he he has a good chart on that and um, but you know the National Library of Medicine TaxNet really lists almost all the agents that I was looking for and gives the half life and gives the studies and gives the specific recommendations and the other thing is that they have these great charts so um, when a woman or her primary care physician finds out what her dose is going to be of the agent they can that mom or the doctor can look at on ToxNet and look at the dose that's being given and then instruct mom on the duration of time that she should be um, pumping and, and not nursing. So it's, well, I think really it's, good to know. it's excellent. And I, and I don't know how recent that is, but um, it's, it's a fantastic resource and it's free, which is so good. I love ToxNet. I, Absolutely. I, it can be really hard to get that information of what the dose is going to be. I mean, even as a physician, for me, trying to find out who the right person was in the hospital to and getting that person, you know, to be able to actually speak with them and find out what that was, I have found to be quite challenging. You mean to find out what the dose is going to be, did you say? Ahead of time, yeah. Ahead of time, yeah, because they have to calculate it for people. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it can be challenging. My, my brother had um, thyroid cancer while his wife was nursing and through this whole process of trying to find out you know, what was his treatment dose going to be because he had radioactive ablation, which was a really high dose. And did he need to be away from her longer than the normal seven days because he was because she was nursing? And it can be it can be quite challenging. Right, I bet it can be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in I already thought... time. What is that? With what is that? In, in an all stressful time, it's frustrating. Right. Right. Um, so one last thing, a couple, two things. One is that um, some agents really should not be given to breastfeeding moms because the doses are, are high and the half-lives are so long that we're talking about interrupting breastfeeding for, you know, a month or two months. And mm -hmm. in those situations, think about the amount of radiation exposure to the, to the lactating breast. So um, these are agents, particularly um, the um, iodine that's the radioactive iodine that's given to destroy a thyroid gland um, when women have uh, Graves' disease um, or when they're going when they're after they have um, their thyroid removed for thyroid cancer. Um, so women um, who have Graves' disease who are breastfeeding really should um, either they can have surgery to completely take out their thyroid gland or they can be given antithyroid medication until they're done nursing and then have their radioactive destruction. Um, also gallium scans, which I haven't used a gallium scan for a long time, but a gallium scan is, is um, used you know, for people who have that fever of unknown origin, you're looking for infection, and uh, that really is, it's high doses of radiation and it lasts around for a long time. And then there's also an agent that's called, it has a long name, it's called meta-iodo, Benzylguanidine, and that's 
given to people when they're looking for neuroendocrine tumors such as um, pheochromocytomas or carcinoid tumors. Mm-hmm. So, um, so again, you know, Toxin is great. It says right on there, don't give this, you know, wait until they're, you know, weaned. So just great information. And then the last thing I just want to mention is that um, for this milk that's pumped, again, it doesn't have to be dumped. It can be stored in the freezer. But I suggest putting in a freezer that you're not going to be exposed to all the time so that there's not this constant amount of radiation every time you open up a freezer. You know, put it somewhere else like in the basement if you don't go down there very often or in the garage or something like that. That's a really good point. So, yeah. So I think, um, you know, the disappointing thing is that um, with the nuclear medicine studies, there's just not a lot of research. You know, it's, um, you know, and I'm sure that there probably are not a lot of places, hospitals that have measured radiation in breast milk. I mean, maybe the good thing is that maybe, you know, we're avoiding all these studies in women, which is probably the best thing. Um, And maybe that's why there aren't a lot of studies, because most women don't undergo these tests when they're breastfeeding. And they're generally, you know, tend to be healthy women in general. Anyway, they oftentimes don't need these tests. But even even for women who are not breastfeeding, if they have small infants, a lot of these things matter because the mom is essentially radioactive for some period of time. Right. Right. Yeah. So um, but the good news, you know, again, we can get free information now. So. All mm-hmm. right. Well, and then so well, I, I give you an A plus on your pronunciation today. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I practice that one. <laughs> um, I will put on our Facebook page uh, the study that people can give to their hospitals if they if they're wanting to help a nursing woman get her breast milk measured for radioactivity. And um, I hope that people visit our Facebook page and come and like us. So great talking to you. Yeah, good talking to you, and we'll be in touch, and I'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. If you have any interest in the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine or any questions or comments about this podcast, please email us at abm at b as in boy, f as in frank, med.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a few weeks.